welcome to the Digital Digest, your weekly podcast from Capacity Media on all things digital infrastructure. I'm your host, editor Melanie Mingus, and joining me this week, we have Deputy Editor Natalie Bannerman and our new team member, reporter Saf Malik, who joined the team last week, um, but more from Saf very soon. In this week's episode, we will be looking at some of the bigger stories of the last seven days, um, but before that, we're going to dive into the headlines. So this week, we have covered the news that OneWeb has a new subsidiary after acquiring Texas-based military satellite specialist Trustcom. Vodafone Group and the International Telecommunication Union are to address the global digital divide through a new working group. And X has concluded one of the first 5G standalone roaming trials in the world, which demonstrated roaming interoperability between two 5G network providers. And IBM and S-Band networks have announced plans to collaborate on the launch of a 5G-enabled open-run testbed in Europe. It's also been a busy week for military-related comms contracts, particularly in the US. AT&T has said it's working with the Naval Postgraduate School to explore and develop 5G and edge computing-based maritime solutions for national defense and homeland security, while Verizon has landed a contract with the US Department of Defense to deliver 5G ultra-wideband to seven Air Force bases. Meanwhile, in deals in Saudi Arabia, STC has completed its much-hyped IPO for solutions by STC, raising 966.35 million US dollars. And Iliad is seen to boost its presence in Poland by snapping up UPC Poland from Liberty Global for 1.8 billion US dollars. So a lot of money in the industry this week. Um, Meanwhile, in data centers, Africa Data Centers has completed its new Joburg hyperscale facility, which it said is one of the largest in Africa. That news follows ADC's recent announcement of 10 new facilities across the continent. In Colombia, GlobeNet has started construction on a new Edge facility, and American Tower has launched its data center channel partner program to expand its market reach for co-location and carrier neutral data centers. Um, But first this week, we are going to go to Natalie and one of the biggest stories um, from the last fortnight, I think it's fair to say, which is the next step for GTT. So to recap, breaking news last Friday, iSquare Capital spent 2.1 billion US on GTT's infra portfolio to create extra infrastructure. Um, There's still some left over. Um, Now, we talked about this at length last week, um, but Natalie, you spoke with GTT CEO Ernie Ortega just a few days ago. So what insights did Ernie share? Thanks, Melanie. Yeah, as you as you mentioned, you know, had the pleasure of speaking to Ernie uh, earlier this week and without wanting to give, uh, I suppose, too much away, um, the overarching message of our chat was that uh, GCT is really getting back to its roots and its core competencies. Um, Ernie really explained that GTT has always been characterized um, as a um, asset light business model, um, which in his own words doesn't necessarily mean by, you know, divesting itself from the infrastructure business um, that it doesn't have any assets. He was very keen to kind of remind me that they also have um, a tier one IP backbone, uh, one of the largest uh, across its footprint. Um, This coupled with the company's flagship SD-WAN product among its other offerings mean that GCT 2.0, as he described it, is well-placed to meet the demands of high-end global enterprise customers, which is really the key market segment for the company moving forward. He also confirmed that the company's global footprint will remain the same post-sale and that GCT will connect any location anywhere in the world, really in line with what it did previously. Um, Also, due to its size, the new GTT 2.0, as he calls it, will um, also benefit from greater flexibility and agility um, alongside, you know, some of its bigger counterparts. Um, Interestingly, he said it's all somewhat at parity in terms of, you know, the competition between GTT and its, you know, competitors in the space. Um, He actually said... um, 
where we feel we will differentiate ourselves is our level of customer care. Um, as such, over the last uh, 16 months, he said the company has been hard at work fixing everything that needs to be fixed and really preparing for its full return, um, as I mentioned, as a 2.0 company. Um, so though uh, tumultuous time is really ahead for GCT, um, Ortega has um, also said to me that, you know, we're selling more than the company's ever sold, we're installing our services at a faster velocity than the company's ever done before, and we're retaining our customers better than we ever have. Uh, and more importantly, we're collecting cash at a higher velocity than we ever have. Um, so really, it's all kind of looking positive for GTT. Of course, he did share uh, a few other details with me, um, the full extent of which will actually be shared in the next issue of Capacity Magazine. Um, so I suppose for anybody else who kind of wants to hear more of the details in terms of, you know, the company's uh, chapter 11, and I suppose a little bit more insight into actually what went wrong with GTT, and I suppose a clearer picture on how they'll be moving forward, um, do check out that interview. But it was a, a great chat. And as you mentioned, Melanie, something we've been covering for some time now. Yes, very, very excited to read that interview in a few short weeks' time. Um, and the cash is certainly going to be handy. Um, but one of the lines that you quoted from Ernie um, that I find absolutely fascinating is this shift to enterprise that he's spoken about, particularly around the SD1, um, and saying that this means that GTT in its 2.0 incarnation is well-placed to meet the demands of high-end global enterprise customers. Um, and again, this seems to another trend that we're seeing everywhere. Um, Natalie, do you think the shift to enterprise is the future for network providers and builders and infra companies? I certainly think it's some, as you mentioned, Melanie, as you, you know, really big trend. I think, you know, if we think back to um, Epsilon kind of, you know, before its um, sale to um, Korea Telecom, they were very much um, aligned with the enterprise market, kind of moving away from the kind of traditional wholesale carrier um, segment. So I certainly see it as a trend. Um, whether or not that's going to be the way for kind of all network service providers, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I do know that the enterprise market is is something I think a lot of carriers are really trying to tap into. And not all of them have kind of figured out that kind of winning formula, for lack of a better word, but it certainly seems to be the area where a lot of energy is being placed. Um, and I think you know, just kind of looking across the space with the, you know, the hyperscalers and the content players, et cetera, et cetera. It's such a big um, opportunity that it would be remiss of them not to. But to be honest, I think it's a TBC. We'll see. Um, it certainly makes sense in terms of, you know, them divesting their infrastructure assets to then obviously focus on the enterprise space because it just makes sense in terms of what they've got to offer. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Um, but yeah, um, the point that you raised there, I mean, earlier this week, I spoke with Global Connect um, and they last week um, announced that they were going to deploy a mega capacity cable from Sweden to Berlin. Um, so, I mean, it's hard infrastructure. They specialize in, you know, microducts and dark fiber and all the rest of it. Um, but when I spoke to the carrier business CEO, um, she said that their kind of customer base moving forward is going to be hyperscalers and hyperscaler like enterprises, for example, energy companies and maybe in future AI as well. And it's really, really interesting to see these two kind of themes, you know, raising raising their um raising their heads in two very different companies on two very different continents. Um, but still it's it's all about these major enterprises that are emerging at the moment. Um, well, moving on now to a tech story and to our new team member, Saf Malik. Saf, welcome to the Capacity Media team. Thanks for having me, Melanie. No worries. Thank you for joining us. Um, well, before you get into the stories from this week, um, tell us a little bit about you. Tell us about your journalism career to date and the stories that you enjoy covering. 
Um, so I've been in tech and telecoms journalism for two years now, working for a magazine called Mobile News. Um, during my time at that company, I covered subjects such as uh, the smartphone market, 5G and the UK telecoms industry. Um, I'm excited to join the team and cover more global stories. It's my first week here and I've already come, a few, come across a few interesting ones. There's certainly been absolutely no shortage of new information coming out there this week. Um, well, to crack on with some of the stuff that you've been covering, um, obviously, as you mentioned, mobile and 5G are um, very much your specialist subjects. So first of all, tell us who's deploying 5G kit in the Kingdom of Bhutan. Yeah, it's one of the strangest stories of the week. Um, the Kingdom of Bhutan in the eastern Himalayas will become the latest obscure location to receive 5G services. The country is home to around 754,000 people who will soon have access to Ericsson's 5G network. The Swedish telecoms giant has signed a contract with the largest operator in the country, Bhutan Telecom, to provide 5G non-standalone services, spanning Ericsson radio system products and solutions, including Ericsson spectrum sharing. The announcement will certainly be welcomed by citizens, tourists, trekkers and hikers across the country, including at Chele Le Pass, which offers famous views of the Himalayas. The hope is that this will bridge the digital divide in the country and drive forth an industrial revolution, presenting opportunities for businesses, industries, verticals and the public sectors. Despite this being an obscure location to have 5G, particularly this early in its deployment, Ericsson has actually partnered with Bhutan Telecom since 2004, when the first mobile network was deployed in the country. Bhutan Telecom selected Ericsson as its business support systems transformation partner in 2016, and then in 2019 they teamed up again to deploy, to deploy a disaster resilient emergency core network. Um, since then, Ericsson is committed to the region, deploying 2G, 3G and 4G technology in the area, and the company says it will continue deploying 5G connectivity in other parts of the country. Um, 5G services in the Kingdom of Bhutan are expected to launch in the country at the end of the year. Fantastic. Well, great news for Bhutan. Um, I guess it kind of makes sense because Fix isn't really a suitable option in the Himalayas. Um, and Nepal, which famously borders the same mountain range, has tried to make progress in its 5G deployments this year. Um, in fact, it's been trying to move on that since 2019, but it's kind of getting to the point of head and head now. So Nepal versus Bhutan. I wonder which will get it out to consumers and businesses first. Um, well, thanks for that roundup, Saf. Um, now, another story that you've covered this week um, concerns mobile speeds in Europe. What's happening there? Yeah, so um, Telecom Italia Mobile, also known as TIM, has been ranked as the fastest 5G mobile network in Europe by OpenSignal. So OpenSignal's latest 5G global mobile network experience awards report has positioned TIM in the top spot for 5G mobile network download speeds. The results are based on independent analysis of measurements collected from 1st January to 29th June 2021. Last July, Tim was recognised as Italy's fastest 5G network and was also awarded the best mobile coverage award by Ookla. Other European carriers, including Sunrise in Switzerland and Orange in France, were recognised as global leaders in 5G in OpenSignal's report, but Tim and Vodafone in Spain were the only European operators to see improvements of over 1,000% from its 4G network to its 5G network. A spokesperson for, from OpenSignal told us yesterday, 5G is often seen as being led by Asia, but a number of European operators are among the leaders in OpenSignal's first 5G global awards report. Notably, TIM users saw the highest average 5G download speeds in Europe with 296.5 megabits per second, but not many other European operators were among the 5G speed leaders. 50% of the top 5G operators from 5G download speeds are in Asia Pacific and just 27% are European. In terms of worldwide, Far East Tone was the global winner for fastest download speeds for customers in Taiwan.
That's really, really interesting. Um, well, because mobile is your specialist subject, what's your take on Europe's progress on 5G compared to other regions, like, for example, Asia? Oh, that's an interesting question. So far, more than 160 communication service providers have launched 5G services worldwide. But it's clear that 5G will be deployed faster in some regions than others. Um, so countries such as South Korea and China were early adopters of the technology and are therefore rightly seen as world leaders in the particular area. Um, so according to the latest figures available, Northeast Asia actually has the highest 5G subscription penetration, followed by North America, then Middle Eastern countries, and then Western Europe. It's quite strange to see Western Europe so behind on something that is viewed as beneficial to our future. Um, according to projections, though, Europe will cover 75% of its population with 5G coverage by 2025. In comparison, China will cover its whole country with 5G in that year, so cover 100% of the country in 2025. Um, Europe in general is falling further behind other parts of the world with regards to 5G. Um, unlike South Korea and China, Europe wasn't really an early adopter of 5G and failed to invest in technology that would help the rollout in its early stages. Um, and operators in Europe don't have the same density of sites as countries like China and South Korea. So putting Europe on the same footing is going to be quite difficult and requires massive investment that sales can't justify at the moment. And this is largely because consumers still don't know enough about 5G um, beyond the fact that it offers faster connectivity. Fascinating. Great stats, Seth. Um, thanks for that insight. Well, for the last story of this week, we are returning to Natalie and to another major trend, which is the increasing grip that gaming has on the ICT space. Natalie, tell us what's been happening at EA. Thanks, Melanie. Yeah, as you mentioned, um, Electronic Arts, EA as they're known, um, ATT and Warner Media have confirmed the completion of EA's acquisition of uh, Warner Brother Games Playdemic uh, for $1.4 billion in cash. Um, so the deal actually sees EA on board a mobile gaming company, um, building on the company's uh, already expansive portfolio of brands. Um, as we know, particularly in the kind of esports arena. Um, and the acquisition actually forms part of EA's mobile growth strategy, which is focused on delivering new um, interactive entertainment for its network of uh, nearly half a billion players uh, around the world. Um, specifically, um, the acquisition sees EA gain, um, gain more than 18 mobile live services um, across such genres as lifestyle, casual sports and uh, mid-core games. Uh, the news also follows um, on from the additions of uh, Core Masters, Glue Mobile, Metalhead Software, and now Playdemic um, to the EA brand uh, over the past 12 months. Um, so it's interesting, not just because EA is building out its, you know, mobile offering, which, you know, is a testament to the growth of mobile content in general, but um, AT&T seems to be in the midst of offloading much of its media and kind of content assets. Um, as we know, not too long ago, the company sold um, its anime business Crunchyroll to um, Sony's Funimation for $1.17 billion. Um, it also sold a stake in DirecTV. Um, so it seems that the company uh, may be streamlining its operations and kind of sticking to the knitting, so to speak, as far as um, more traditional telco services. Um, so, yeah, very interesting story. And also, you know, any, anybody who's been listening to us for, you know, for a while now also knows we've uh, long commented on the kind of proliferation of gaming um, and the effect that it's having on the network. And I think this is just testament to the fact that it's, it's clearly a hot commodity um, and we'll see how, you know, how that continues. You know, perhaps it will get to the point where it will overtake streaming and, you know, it wouldn't surprise me, to be honest. 
I would be in no way surprised about that whatsoever. Um, but further to that comment that you just made, um, John Stankey, who's the CEO of AT&T, addressed shareholders yesterday. Um, now, John was appointed CEO last year. And since then, I quote, he says, AT&T has successfully restructured its asset-based position, its largest remaining entities, AT&T Communications and Warner Media, to better capitalise on the long-term structural tailwinds of each of their respective markets. Which, which I get, I follow. Yeah, that makes complete sense. But it also makes it sound like there won't be tailwinds from gaming. And I do wonder what shareholders think of that. Um, because EA is well into mobile gaming now, as you just mentioned. And, you know, AT&T, as you just mentioned, has had all these other um, spin-offs this year. Yet here we see a major telco selling its mobile gaming company. Um, and it just seems like a really bizarre move. It is a bizarre move. And I wonder if, you know, AT&T is kind of um, wanting to... Uh how do I say this, maybe act as more of, of a dumb pipe, so to speak, and kind of leave that content layers to the people, I suppose, who have the uh, the kind of um, the resources to really to feed into it. Because one thing I do know about content is it, it, it is very um, expensive to kind of create and develop, isn't it? It's not quite as, um, as kind of um, simple to develop over time so i'm yeah i'm sure there's more to that story um than we're than we're aware of but as you mentioned given that gaming is growing and content still continues to dominate in terms of data consumption it is an interesting move um maybe something else will uh crop up over the coming weeks or months that will explain a bit more yeah fingers crossed looking forward to seeing what it is um Seth, are you much of a gamer I am not, um, not as much as I used to be, but I am familiar with EA um, because they produced the world-renowned FIFA games um, and they have been popular to, to me and my friends ever since I was a ever since I was a child. So that's one game we've been playing for a very long time that I don't think we're going to stop playing anytime soon. You've, you've grown up with EA and now it's you're going to be covering them moving forwards as they go buying Telco's spin-off businesses. It's a dream come true. <laughs> And that's that you've interviewed them before, haven't you? I haven't. So if EA is listening, can we please make that happen? Because I very much feel like the, the kind of lines between gaming and telecoms is getting more and more blurred. And I think our, our audience would really like to hear more insights. But no, unfortunately, they've evaded me every time, unfortunately. Well, hopefully they're ready to talk now. And there's, there's more on this um, in the next issue as well. Um, so we, we look forward to that one. Um, well, staying with the AT&T, um, on next week's Digital Digest, we'll be speaking with Jerry Jarami, who heads up wholesale at AT&T. And he's going to be talking about a lot of things. Let's not forget it's the AT&T 5G Roadshow also taking place next week. Um, but divestments are on the agenda. So I guess we'll, we'll find out more then. Um, but that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thanks to the team for bringing us the latest on all those stories and a huge thanks to everybody who listened. We will be back next week with more stories from the global tech and telecom space. But until then, we will not leave you without updates. You can catch up with all the latest on telecoms and data centers over at capacitymedia.com. Don't forget that next week is also Data Cloud UK and Ireland. And that takes place in London on Thursday, followed next month by Capacity Europe and the Global Carrier Awards, also both in London. For now, that's all from me and the team. Have a great week. Take care and catch you next time.